Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you. It's episode two of this week. As mentioned earlier in the week, we're going to go to two episodes um, every few days uh, for as long as it makes sense. If you missed our first episode uh, back on Tuesday, that one dropped. Landon Tengwall joined us for a conversation, the newest Nittany Lions commit. I spent about 20 minutes breaking down some of his top targets for the class, his expectations for time on campus. A really good conversation. Thanks again to Landon for doing that. A big thanks to all of those who hopped on board with Lions 24-7 this week. We had a big subscription push for the first couple days of the month. We were up there uh, at the top of the network among 24-7 sports sites, which says a lot about Penn State fans. I think it says a lot about the content that we produced. Uh, Mark Brennan, Sean Fitz, myself, and of course, guys like Steve Wiltfong, um, and, and Brian Doan, and Allen, and, and just across the board with our recruiting network. So thanks for believing in us. Hope uh, those of you who hopped on uh, enjoy the coverage moving ahead. Uh, Sean, um, I thought that was pretty awesome to see considering the circumstances. And, uh, you know, again, we're grateful for those who are are uh, engaged with us, and we're going to try to give them our best content considering what's going on in the sports world right now. Well, grateful is a good word for it. Uh, lucky is a good word for it. Uh, we're, we're very happy to have you guys following along. Uh, like we mentioned, we're, our goal is to be the distraction in these times, and, and hopefully we can uh, provide that service for you. But yeah, it's uh, it's a good time to hop on. I mean, with uh, we're, we're also grateful to Landon Tengwall because since he's hopped on, uh, Penn State's got some momentum, and, and we'll talk about that later in the, in the show in terms of, uh, of recruiting. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're making do. We had a couple coaches on a conference call this week, on Zoom actually this week, and good to get their uh, thoughts on the spring period and, and what's going on because you get a little bit of different uh, viewpoint from everyone you talk to. We talked to Brent Pry and Tyler Bowen. Then, of course, you talked to Sandy Barber, the athletic director, about what she's dealing with and what she's uh, what her thoughts are. So it's uh, it's been an interesting week, a different kind of content, but content nonetheless. Yeah, recruiting notes to come. Uh, we'll talk about some what-ifs of spring camp. Uh, we put together a roundtable up on the site on, on a topic for offensive breakout player, who that may have been. Sean and I will throw some names out there in a bit. Uh, but first, we'll start with those media availabilities where you know we get 30 to 40 minutes where it feels like normal business as usual on the Penn State football beat. Of course, it is not. Uh, but always good to hear from a couple of these uh, coaches, uh, Brent Pry. Tyler Bowen stepped up to the plate. We'll start with Tyler Bowen, who we who we got on Tuesday, which feels like a week ago already. Um, but but Bowen, you know, the conversation really started on those young tight ends. We'll talk about that, but really quickly shifted to Pat Fryermuth. Very clearly, the expectations are for an All-American level campaign in 2020. Um, Pat has said himself, he, he now that it got into the offseason, that he felt snubbed for the Mackey Award, not making the semifinal the semifinalist list. You've seen his teammates uh, tweet all the time, best tight end in the country. He'll have a chance to prove that this fall, and, and I think he's going to have an opportunity to really get on a uh, very high on NFL draft boards next spring. But Sean, you know, Bowen said last year that the big focal point for Pat was was route running polishing that up I think that paid dividends during the course of the season uh, he was uh, oftentimes in crunch time the go-to target for Sean Clifford on third down uh, moved the change just seemed like every time he touched the football but right now uh, Bowen said it's about doing all those little things uh, here's his comment on where he thinks Fryermuth can take that next step from very good uh, to maybe the nation's best at his position I know Pat for our unit and for the for our uh, position unit, um, you know, he's been instrumental in just 
just checking in on guys and, and being a big brother to maybe younger guys that don't know how to work the same way, that haven't been in the program as long, that aren't as emotionally mature. Um, I think he's been a, a huge help for that, as have all of our leadership team and, and throughout the program. I do think we, you know, with that being said, I do think we have good shared accountability as far as what these guys want to do as a team, what their personal goals are, what their collective goals are. And there's a standard of excellence that I, that I do feel, um, even though we're away and we're all spread out across the country, I do feel we're living up to that. Um, as far as expectations for Pat, um, you know, and it's going to be a little bit of the same boring answer. I just want him to continue improving. Um, and I think he would tell you the same thing. Um, you know, I think the big things that we worked on last year coming into his second year were just details in his route running, um, just just various details. I, I would say that he's a above-the-line route runner at the tight end position when you look nationally. Um, and then I think the biggest thing that he's focused on is how can I be the best all-around tight end in the country? And that's the message to him. How can I be the best tight end at pass protection? How can I be the best tight end in the run game? How can I be the best tight end in the pass game? How can I be the best tight end in screens? Every facet of tight end play, he has the skill set to excel at. So I think the big thing for him is putting it all together. He's been able to put together little bits and pieces in his career. And now being able to have a little bit of a toolbox to put it all together and be the best all-around tight end in the conference for him and in the country, I think that's his goal. But we're, we're just working on that in every area. I watched a little bit of that Memphis game the other day, and and Pat Frymuth when he trucked the guy at the goal line, it just reminded me how good he was. Um, but, but yeah, he can still get better. He's a, he's a, he's a very good player right now. I think he take that look or take that leap to be great, uh, be the top tight end in the country. It's going to come with blocking. It's going to come with uh, you know the the different ways that they use them as well. So it's kind of twofold. It's on him and it's on them to uh, to get the ball in his hands and. As we've talked about receivers so often throughout this offseason, I mean, he's your best receiver. He's going to be the guy that they look to, um, and they did so in, in key situations, uh, ran a couple of, of late-season stick routes to, to move the chains. And, and of course, uh, I, the one that gets me is the, the two-point conversion late in the Cotton Bowl when uh, Sean Clifford got that ball in there somehow and, and Frymuth came away with it. I mean, this is a, a special talent. Penn State's had a couple special talents in a row at tight end, and they managed to make the most of it, and uh, yeah, I still think he can get better, and I'm excited to see his progress. And there's certainly a battle for who the next guy behind Pat Fryermuth is going to be, and maybe the the next guy stepping into the starting lineup once Pat Fryermuth departs campus eventually. And that's really the, at center stage with this position group in terms of intrigue. Zach Kuntz, Brenton Strange, a couple guys who who have been on campus for a while now. Brenton Strange was an early enrollee. Uh, Zach Kuntz going to be a redshirt sophomore. They've had some seasoning on the practice field despite now missing spring practice. Um, and, and those two were, were also in the spotlight with with Bowen. He says he really feels like uh, th- that, that Strange going from about 211 pounds when they brought him to campus to where he is now in the 240s combining that with really putting the pieces together on a micro and macro level knowing what other positions are supposed to be doing not just what he's supposed to be doing on the field during any given offensive play has been a big step forward and and we know that the physical uh, attributes and development is also huge for Zach Kuntz a guy who you know still you know you look at him he's still 
probably qualifies as lanky, certainly far less lanky than he was when he got to school. Uh, but, you know, he's talked about the challenges of putting on weight, uh, becoming the kind of player who can be in every down tight end, and that's not easy to do. They had a very good one in Nick Bowers that they could bring in. Bowen says multi-tight end sets are still very much a part of the plan for Penn State in 2020, um, and, and we're going to have to put that on pause. But Bowen likes what he's got. You've talked about this for a while, and while we do like this room, I think it's in a good spot considering uh, you know there is no spring practice comparatively to other spots in the field. There is you know some concern about the development in that number two role behind Fryermuth. Yeah, it's a lot like running back uh, with, with with Devin Ford and Noah Kane. I mean, you've got Koontz playing the Kane role as the guy that you expect to be the number two, but he's a very, pretty talented guy behind him and strange. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how that would have played out. Uh, when, you, when you talk two tight end sets, everybody's going to talk about splitting Koontz out wide. I mean, he's 254-ish pounds right now. Uh, strange is not that much lighter than that. I think they'd like for Koontz to be a little bit bigger. Um, that that's always been an issue and that's never really changed or I don't know how it's going to change in the next couple of years. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it, it just so, so many intriguing options because you're, you're talking about two guys that maybe aren't traditional tight ends, Pat Fryermuth, more of a traditional tight end, but you can move all those guys around. You can split Pat Fryermuth out wide. You can split Koontz out wide or play him in the slot, play him in an H back role, move him across the formation. Um, so I'm really curious to see how these guys develop. Um, it, two super talents. I mean, that's the thing. We we talked about this before is Nick Bowers was the guy keeping them off the field. Nick Bowers is a pretty good tight end. So um, really, really curious to see how this goes. Uh, Brenton Strange is a guy that Mark Brennan picked as a potential most improved guy in spring ball. And he's one of the first guys that came to my mind as well. So it's going to be going to be interesting to see if Koontz can hold him off. Um, Koontz does some 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 really special things that we've seen on the practice field um, in terms of just using his size and and really being a, a matchup nightmare there. Um, Strange has has really come a long way, both physically and, uh, you know, just, I I guess, professionally, as we'll call it, um, with his tight end development. So I think there's just so many intriguing options there. And that's not even taking into account Theo Johnson, who just got here in January. Bingo. And, and, And right after the December early signing period, when Theo Johnson got on board, we thought he may be a part of this conversation right off the bat as an early enrollee. Of course, then went down to Orlando for the uh, Under Armour All-America in a game, and uh, things went awry a bit for him. He had a shoulder injury. You heard him on the show here. He, he felt like it wasn't as severe as some people made it out to be, but he was still waiting on further medical evaluation. Uh, it was a dislocation, but what else it, What that meant, he was not sure. It seems like he went through some adversity is, is the way Bowen described it early on getting to campus. That leads me to believe that maybe the medical outlook wasn't as, as positive as he had hoped. Uh, and Theo Johnson, we already knew from speaking with James Franklin last week, was not going to be able to be a full participant on the spring practice field. And uh, the, the the feedback we got, though, did have some optimism to it. It sounded like when he, they do get back to campus, Johnson's going to be able to join the fold, be competitive, uh, and, and try to make his case. And I think what jumps out to you right away from Bowen's conversation is, you know, you're talking about a kid going the international route, um, and it doesn't sound like there's been a hiccup uh, since he got to campus, aside from early on w- with the medical prognosis. And Bowen has really been pleased with that transition. He's listed six foot six, about 250 pounds on that initial depth chart. Compared, compare that to where Koontz and Strange were when they got to campus, respectively. Uh, he has strides ahead physically, and I know uh, early on, despite his limitations physically, Sean, uh, with what he can do, you had gotten some good positive feedback on Theo Johnson through a couple of months on campus. 
they're excited about him as as sort of a physical specimen. I mean, they they did what they needed to do to take care of that shoulder when he got to campus, and of course, that's going to limit him for for a few weeks or a month or two or whatever it was. Um, but then he he started to come around at the end of of winter workouts, had some really good uh, sessions for them, and they were excited about seeing him move. Basically, uh, is what it comes down to. And you know, he was going to be limited if if not completely held out in the spring. But that's it's really not something that's going to I guess. Uh, hold up his progress all that much so they're excited about johnson uh, just big physical guy i mean he's gonna be 270 pounds at some point and and he can still move and you got tyler warren coming behind him so really uh, I mean, we're spending a lot of time in this tight end room and it's kind of like like we said about jay Sider in the running back room i mean you just gotta sit back and trust the the process to happen and it's, and it's gonna they're probably going to be successful with it. So excited to see what these guys can do. Excited to see what Kirk Shiraka can do. Didn't throw to the tight end at Minnesota. Uh, flatly didn't throw to the tight end at Minnesota. I mean, they only had a handful of targets along the uh, uh, all, all year long. receiving yards, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not going to get it done in, in State College. So uh, we'll, we'll see how he adjusts. Um, you know, have not gotten him on the Zoom call yet. We got defensive coordinator Brent Pry instead. But how he adjusts to that, how he makes – um, you know, Pat Fryman, how do you make a tight end the centerpiece of your offense when when a guy like KJ Hamler is there and all the receivers that we've seen? And even really when Mike Kosicki was here, as talented as he was with the weapons around him, really wasn't the centerpiece of that offense with Saquon and Godwin. By the way, the, the Big Ten title game was on Big Ten Network last night, and that kept me up uh, watching. I forgot how explosive that offense was. You know, if they can uh, find a way to uh, to sort of channel that that that, that Moorhead offense and and make the Minnesota offense that we saw against Penn State come to come to life, hey, maybe you got something going. So I'm I'm curious to see how Kirk Scirocco will uh will, will use Pat Frymuth, but I think it's it's pretty obvious that he has to. Thursday night Twitter was nostalgic. I, you, you were tweeting about that Penn State comeback in the Big Ten championship game. Everybody else was tweeting about the USC Texas broadcast uh, on on ESPN, which by the way I agree that is the best game. I have personally ever seen in the college sports world. Uh, just a freaking awesome game that people were reliving. Is we're going down memory lane because that's what we have right now. Um, Brent Pry also joined us on a call on Wednesday. Uh, the defensive coordinator. He's been with James Franklin now ten years, going back to their Vanderbilt days. Um, you know, he talked about losing Spencer and, and what that is going to mean, and uh, he, he really raved about bringing Dion Barnes back and, and what John Scott is going to bring to the position. He's worked with Scott on a couple other stops. He was instrumental in his hiring here in Happy Valley. But from a personnel perspective, the conversation is going to start with Micah Parsons. Their relationship has been so interesting to follow. Um, really, you know, he's been involved with Micah since his freshman year in high school. Now here he is, a Buckus Award finalist as a sophomore. And they have come a long way together. And Brent Pry, um, you know, it's it's always exciting. You can hear the imagination stirring, the wheels turning when you bring up Micah. But more so than ever here, because I think he's in such a more comfortable position than even where he was last offseason after two years at linebacker, a full year as the starting guy, and what we saw in the Cotton Bowl. It's no surprise to hear Pry give this kind of evaluation for what he thinks could be next for Micah Parsons. With Micah, I mean, he's obviously... Um, I'm pleased with his development to this point. Um, you know, he's eager, he's determined, and uh, you know that never that never wavers. And um, I think that uh, he's one of those guys that um, you want to have covering the best back, covering the best tight end, touching off the edge. You know, you'd like to have him in a couple different places. So, 
you know, maximizing uh, what he can do for us each and every snap that he's on the field is important. It was uh, certainly brought up quite a bit in our off-season self-scout. How can we, uh, you know, might use Micah more, get him in the best position to be successful for himself and for our unit. Um, he's, uh, he's obviously a rare talent, and uh, I think he's still his best footballs in front of him. And uh, as he continues to grow and develop uh, in the meeting room and work habits and just mature as a college football player, I think we're, we're going to see a, a better and better Micah, Pro Micah Parsons out there, you know, each and every week. So uh, we've got to get him more involved. I know he's, he's very good at, uh, you know, on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And, uh, his rush ability is one of his best traits. You know, he's obviously... Uh, been productive there, but I think we could, we can still, uh, you know, we can see some improvement there. We can see, get a little more mileage out of how good he is at coming off that edge or through those gaps as uh, was apparent in the Cotton Bowl. The pass rush ability is something that has always stood out about Parsons. Uh, many viewed him as a defensive end. He, he worked at defensive end in, in several camps along the way. All-American showcases in high school. Made that transition in January 2018 at linebacker and has not looked back. And we know it's a talented linebacker room overall, Sean. Uh, a plenty of blue chip talent looking to make an emergence. And uh, Brent Pry discussed those two open starting spots. Jan Johnson is gone. Cam Brown is gone. Both of them multi-year starters. Uh, you put out your defensive uh, projection for the depth chart at v for our VIP subscribers online this week. Uh, but no surprise, the names matched up with what you had projected there. Brandon Smith's in a good spot, uh, stepping up from behind Cam Brown at the sand position. Lance Dixon also working there, a five-star who was in the 2019 class, a fellow five-star with Smith. And then uh, on the inside, Jesse Lucetta, uh, Ellis Brooks, two guys that have worked really you know, extensively as reserve linebackers and uh, you know, we saw Ellis Brooks really, you know, kind of carving out a role despite Jan Johnson's presence as a first teamer. That's going to be an interesting battle to watch at the Mike position as well. And by the way, Charlie Catcher getting a little love, uh, a mention there as well as a redshirt sophomore. Catcher had a strong uh, close to the winter workout. So we we mentioned uh, we we published a piece last week about guys that that had some momentum coming out of the winter, and unfortunately, you know, that's not going to carry over. But Catcher was one of those guys made that move from Sam to Will which gave them the ability to flip-flop and put uh, Lance Dixon back at Sam, where he's a little bit more comfortable, where he's a little, I think his skill set fits a little bit more, playing in a little bit more space. He's a former safety. Um, catcher's also a former safety, but, uh, you know, the physical skills are a little bit different there. So curious to see how those, I think I think the, you know, I, I mentioned uh, in, in our piece about who this impacts the less position-wise. I mentioned linebackers. Uh, that's more of a starting uh, linebacker aspect. When you take a look at the backups, I mean, Jesse Lucetta is moving from Will to Mike. You've got Charlie Catcher moving from Sam to Will. Uh, Lance Dixon moving from Will to Sam. So three guys in three new spots. They certainly could have used the reps. Brandon Smith certainly could have used the reps. Still really love what this unit brings in terms of athleticism, in terms of a, a different style of linebacker. I mean, they should be, you know, theoretically when they get back on the field, should be all over that field. So we'll see what happens. Can cover a lot of ground. Um, and then, of course, uh, Curtis Jacobs and Zariah Fisher get here in the summer. So um, really, it's, it's not the deepest group in the world in terms of experience, but I mean, you just there's there's so many things that you like about the linebacker spot. 
that uh, it's going to come down to, you know, can Ellis Brooks run this defense from there? And then, you know, on the, on the flip side, maybe they just have two linebackers for most of the, most of the, uh, of the game. I don't know. It's, it's, it's fascinating how it's going to play out, but they've got a lot of talent to work with and a lot of different options that they can go with to, to make this defense um, sort of uh, recover from the end of last season and, and really by extension uh, help help themselves in the back four and, and cover the pass. And by the way, I think Brandon Smith is is the X factor. If it clicks for him year two, and he and he flashes that five star capability, and 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 he looks good and smooth out there, and like he's not overthinking things, man, I think that could go a long way towards stabilizing the unit and really taking it to another level and his, alongside and his, yeah, like Parsons. His stats um, really didn't tell the whole story. You flip on that Purdue game, he looks like an emerging fight. Him and George Karloftis from Purdue really look like the guys that, that that look like they could live up to their billing. So I'm excited. I'm glad you mentioned that about Smith because I think he's sort of on the precipice of where he needs to go. Once he gets new re- or more reps, I think we'll see him come along, kind of uh, developing from that physical specimen with uh, you know with all that length and all that uh, that that agility and and the, the ability to move around. I think he's such such a crucial part of this uh, this defense development. Well, John Reed, Garrett Taylor, Robert Windsor, those aforementioned linebackers and Johnson and Brown, Yitor Grossmatos, these are all players who played a lot of football for Penn State's defense, won't be doing that in 2020. Uh, all of them except Grossmatos that I mentioned walk away with a Big Ten championship ring. That's no longer in the locker room. So this is a group that's going to require some emerging leadership. Um, just some names to throw out there. Brent Pry pointing to Tariq Castro-Fields, Antonio Shelton, Shaka Tony, Lamont Wade. No surprise there. They're all seniors, but who who's going to take that leap uh, as a as a sophomore, junior? Uh, PJ Mustafer, uh, very little surprise here as well because Brent Pry um, and just about everybody has talked about his accountability, his maturity since he got to campus, looking to fill that starting role vacated by Windsor. Pry also pointed to Ellis, uh, Luketa at linebacker as stabilizing forces, and Jonathan Sutherland has experience as a as a captain in a special teams capacity. Um, he's pushing at safety. Um, so just some names to know there because that's going to be important for this group uh, moving ahead. And by the way, speaking of priorities for the defense, Brent Price says nothing matters more to them uh, in terms of fixing and getting it right in 2020 than limiting explosive pass plays. If if there was one glaring unraveling for Penn State last, uh, last month of the season or the regular season, you could probably point to, to Sean Clifford's uh, physical issues and limitations and not taking a step forward uh, with the offensive attack, but very much can point to the defense. Uh, what happened, starting with that trip to Minnesota, and then back home against Indiana, ultimately in the Cotton Bowl later on. They were torched through the air repeatedly. Uh, he said they have studied the best, the teams that have covered the pass the best and limited those kind of explosive plays all across the country, trying to get it right, trying to figure out if it's a factor of not enough pass rush and not enough blended coverage. Too much coverage and not doing an, uh, one or two, particularly uh, at a high level. So Pry basically said they did an autopsy. We've got a whole write-up on, on, on his Q&A on Lines 24-7 into further detail. But uh, you know he was very, very transparent about that being a glaring issue that they will need to correct. An autopsy. That's uh, quite a way to put it after, of course, uh, being torched by Memphis. When you mention explosive pass, pass plays, it's interesting. No touchdowns, uh, no touchdown passes for Memphis in that game. But still... Some, something needed to be fixed. Um, you know, I think there's issues on all three levels. Uh, the pass rush certainly uh, could have been better last year, and and then at the very back end, we've talked about the safeties so much on this uh, on this podcast. How they need to improve. Jaquan Brisker 
is just the guy in the spotlight right now, in my opinion. Um, you mentioned leadership. I'd like to see him take a step forward with leadership. He's sort of been soaking it all in, sort of catching it all uh, since he got on campus from Lackawanna last year. Now it's time to start pushing back and seeing what he you can get out of him, um, seeing if he's the guy that you thought he was and you hope he was, and, and really Penn State fans should hope he was because I think there's a really talented football player in there. Just given the timeline that he's on coming in as a junior college prospect, you, you, you want to see it sooner rather than later. Yeah, Brisker may feel like the new guy on campus still, but he's down to his last year of college eligibility all of a sudden. So huge year for him. A big missing spring ball, it would seem, for Brisker as well. Um, Sandy Barber uh, spoke with her this week, along with several of the reporters on the beat. We got a lot of content up on that on the site. We'll run through this very quickly, Sean. Uh, it was a surreal call. It was exactly three weeks after uh, the Big Ten basketball tournament was canceled, while Penn State you know, and Barber herself were out in Indiana. Indianapolis and Mark Brennan had driven out there and the world has changed so much in just those three weeks including the sports world including Penn State it was the same day they suspended classes and three weeks later we're all having these conversations that we never anticipated with Barber and uh, you know she had a general message to Denny Lyons fans to share Uh, we'll start off with that campus has put a has pressed pause um, on all construction uh, projects um, but in the case of the uh, of, of the lash, uh, the next uh, couple of phases um, of the lash renova- renovations, um, we actually are in design there. So that work uh, that work continues, uh, and certainly when uh, when we get back on campus, uh, and uh, we'll take our direction uh, from from university leadership uh, about construction. Um, certainly, we'll need to see where we are from a, from a fundraising standpoint. Um, but obviously, we're we're committed to that as well as several other projects that were uh, you know on on, uh, on the runway, uh, getting getting close to uh, to getting going. Uh, and uh, I do know this. Uh, that uh, that our alumni and, and donors and, and, and fans have been terrific. Um, we continue uh, our Nittany Lion Club and our, our development folks uh, continue to uh, to receive gifts and, and raise money uh, through this very challenging time for everyone. Uh, so I am I'm very confident um, that although the times may be. Uh, a little bit more challenging uh, that when the time is right that uh, that we'll have the opportunity to move forward with these things. And as painful as it was to, to miss out on March Madness and to have to halt the spring sports season in its tracks very quickly the focus has shifted to football season. That's where we are right now in this thing. The indefinite uh, you know, stays in our home that we're all dealing with. That extends you know, into the into the May right now with the recruiting dead period all the way through May 31st. We just don't know when kids are going to be back on campus and when they're going to get the clear. And Sandy Barber was asked about football. Uh, she she was asked about the potential for an empty stadium and, and, and having games that way. Didn't seem to make much sense to her considering if, if there wasn't a green light to have kids on campus, mingling on campus, um, then she doesn't think there will be the green light to have kids in a stadium, and she's not sure how those two would marry. How are you going to be able to have kids on campus and not have them in the stadium, and how are you going to be able to not have kids on campus and still feel comfortable in saying, okay, we can have a football game where, where 100,000 people can crowd here? So I don't think, you know, she also said, what are we going to have at our disposal? What are the alternatives that we'll have? Um, 94% season ticket renewal. People want to but get their butts in Beaver Stadium this year, Sean. Uh, but there is now talk about spring 2021 kickoff. What is it, like a February, March start to the season with a midwinter, late winter training camp being talked about. Again, I hope these are all theoretical that we're talking about. But as Barbara said, 
Football revenue drives the train that is not exclusive to Penn State, the way it impacts this university and all 31 sports programs, the way it impacts State College and the many people who are financially dependent on those fall Saturdays. It's all part of the equation here. It's crazy uh, that we're, you know, that we've gotten to this point and we're talking about uh, moving the season to the spring. I mean, it's it's obviously you have to explore all avenues in this, considering the money that's on the line, not only for uh, coaches and everything, but these athletic programs as a whole. And, you know, football supports so much of, of what Penn State does and, and what all schools do. Um, it's just crazy to think about it. And, and I don't know if you saw, but, uh, you know, schools have already extended their uh, off-campus policies, no, having, not having students on campus. Rutgers just extended theirs to mid-August, which, you know, if you're talking about uniform and getting people back, what Sandy Barber said was you need about 60 days to get these guys onto campus, get them back into the swing of things, then have practice, then go. That does not bode well for that. No, it's concerning, and, and 60 Days was, was about where she put it, uh, dealing with the sports science folks and, and certainly being in communication with James Franklin uh, and his staff. We'll see. We'll be continuing to monitor. We'll take an optimistic outlook for as long as we possibly can regarding the start of Penn State football season. Again, that's set for September 5th against Kent State, followed by a trip to Virginia Tech. And, you know, something that seemed like a given just three weeks ago, all of a sudden uh, feels like it's in jeopardy. But we'll continue to keep tabs. Quick commercial break. We're back with some recruiting and a couple other notes about spring practice and what could have been. Sean mentioned earlier Brenton Strange being a guy who maybe we were viewing, Mark Brennan in particular, in our roundtable discussion as a spring breakout candidate on offense. We both came up with a couple on our own as well. Uh, I went with Devin Ford, Sean, and, and you know we're both high on him. This shouldn't come as a surprise to any of our listeners. And you may be thinking, I'm crazy to pick a running back as a breakout considering what he has in front of him with Journey Brown, the way he finished 2019. Noah Kane setting a record last year for freshman touchdown, rushing, tu- rushing touchdowns. But I just think Ford is way too talented. You know, he got to campus last year, I think four months, five months after Noah Kane. He still was able to get on the field. You know, it's easy to, to forget a little bit now. He had 100 plus yards in that opener, the first guy in a couple decades to do that in his uh, game one of his freshman year. 81 uh, yard touchdown on the ground. He scored in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, didn't see a lot of action, but he was consistently involved. He got into 12 of 13 games, I believe, was the final count. And I just get the feeling because of of Jaywan Sider, the way he has raved about this kid's mentality since day one, and also simply his physical superiority and his ability to cut on a dime. Uh, I just think there's going to be opportunities for Devin Ford. And if there is an injury uh, to D- Journey Brown or Noah Kane, or you know just a lack of production on either end, I think the door swings wide open for him to really make a national emergence. But I think right now, maybe as a sophomore, he's going to be a really nice weapon just at their disposal, maybe it's six, seven, eight touches a game, but I think he's going to maximize it, and I think this would have been a really big spring for him. Unfortunately, he's going to go into his sophomore year without any spring practice experience in his college career. I'm, I'm really struggling to remember. There was a broadcast last year where it was it was one of those times when the running back room was kind of in flux. They were, of course, going with the, the rotation, and the coaches told the broadcast team that they were going to lean on Devin Ford more that game, and it seemed like you know they were going to turn a corner, and then all of a sudden, Journey Brown just popped loose for you know a 50 yard run or something like that and 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 took the bull by the horns and went with it but uh staff very high on Devin Ford you know as you know I'm very high on Devin Ford as well so uh really curious to see what he could do with a full year uh, of strength program and all that kind of stuff does he factor into the kick return game you know does he come into with the passing game I think we do see uh two running back sets uh 
with with the offense now or more two running back sets with the offense and and see what they can do with some of those guys because you've got uh you know skill sets that play off each other complement one another i'm excited to see ford my guy in this and i thought about this for a little bit and and you want to go receiver basically based on what's out there but you try not you try a, yeah not a ton of guys that are coming back you got dotson and george um sullivan brown was hurt um but uh, a lot of new faces in there red shirt guys but so i i just flipped it on its uh, on its head and said hey you know who's gonna love run blocking for kirk Sharaka? it's it's cj thorpe and like i said i mentioned uh earlier i put the cotton bowl on um, and watched and man that that was his best game uh bar none not even close and he was he was whooping some people and then he was having fun doing it and I think we would see more of that um it, it, nobody has to be happier on that offensive line than CJ Thorpe to bring in uh, Kirk Sharaka to bring in Phil Troutwine and sort of see what they can get out of him because this the scouting report hasn't changed he's got to improve his pass blocking he's got to improve his all-around game but his run blocking is as good as anybody, and it's uh, you know it's fantastic to watch when you break it down. And I'm excited to see his development, um, you know, in the fall when he gets back there because I think he's the the right guard, no doubt about it. I still remember your tweet about his block at Pitt in 2018 going viral, and and of course he then shifted over to defensive tackle that season, and then ultimately back now at right guard. He was my pick last preseason, last August for a breakout player on offense, and I think I threw out the the all conference expectations. Didn't quite get there as a redshirt sophomore, but I'm excited to see him uh, here in his fourth year on campus. I think Des Holmes is a guy that we've pointed to a lot. You've heard good things about also on the offensive line. He's going to be getting action as a guy all over the field, guard tackle there was going to be some shuffling uh, as we've mentioned this spring so another name to know on the offensive line to say the least Um, recruiting we had a ton of coverage this week up up on the site I'd suggest you go check that out especially our VIP members you can spend half your day going through all the recruiting that we put out Uh, one big consistent theme this week Sean Michigan and what Penn State is doing up there. Uh, I, I talked with uh, with with the wide receiver up there. We've got, I talked with a running back, Donovan Edwards, up there. And, and then there's the twins, the King Twins. Uh, th- there's a lot going on, and I, I know I'm missing some names here. You had a nice write up on the Detroit area in particular, uh, and we hope to have Alan Treyu on the show next week for an episode to break this down more extensively. But gotta like what Penn State's doing in somebody else's backyard in Big Ten territory. Yeah, Michigan's, uh, you know, we talked so much about Penn State fans uh, belly aching over the recruiting. Michigan was in really the same boat and without a recruit or without a commitment since last May. And then all of a sudden, you know, they got moving a little bit and got some guys. I mean, it, it maybe reach for for a guy or two here, but uh, they've gotten some commitments too. But really not the stronghold in Michigan. And, and when you've got an opportunity to get in there um, with Michigan State making a coaching change, and now may, maybe that's something that, that turns over in the 2022 class or something like that when once Mel Tucker gets his himself established but uh really no not a ton of loyalty there uh in-state loyalty right now in michigan and penn state's tried to capitalize on that uh jalen reed the the four-star safety out of king which is tim banks uh martin luther king which is tim banks uh alma mater um he's uh you know he's gonna announce in may things look pretty good for penn state you have the king twins they're cutting their list down maybe they they announced sometime at some point all those guys were on campus in may Rayshon Benny was on campus in, in, excuse me, all those guys were on campus in January. Gonna, uh, you know, uh, Reed's gonna announce in May. Uh, Rayshon Benny was on campus. Rocco Spindler uh, out of Clarkston. Penn State seems to be trending up with him. Uh, of course, his father was a very familiar name to Penn State fans. 
I mean, you've got a lot going on in Michigan right now. You talked to Andrew Anthony yesterday, or out of East Lansing of all places. Yeah, right. So they're they're all over the place in Michigan, trying to capitalize, and and really the big fish is is the guy that they're trying to make the move on, Donovan Edwards, the running back that everybody thought was heading to Ohio State. All of a sudden, Evan Pryor and Trevion Henderson go to Ohio State, and you know he's left looking around, and maybe not as sold on Michigan as as many would think. So just so much uh, momentum right now for Penn State. Alan True put in a couple of uh, a crystal ball picks late last night uh, for the Nittany Lions from the state. So got some things rolling. All of a sudden, Tangwell jumps on board, and you've got an opportunity to to roll into this momentum. As we mentioned earlier this week, they had the Zoom call with Tony Grimes. Just visibility is so big right now. They're doing that with a lot of guys, including Spindler. Um, so I, I'm really, I, I think Penn State's trending positive. Uh, I wrote a, a bunch of words on it yesterday, and, and it's a good spot to be in if you're if you're the Nittany Lions in Detroit right now. Yeah, some positive vibes uh, across the board this week on a lot of our coverage. And and, and Andrew Anthony uh, had planned an official visit. He had one official visit planned. It was going to be to Happy Valley. It was going to be the final week of May. That's now the dead period still because of the NCAA coming down with that extension. Kevin Gilliam, a, a, a guy that I'm really high on. I mean, you, you pointed out his his, ex, his excellent status as a student, uh, the fact that he just turned 17 as a kid, six foot three, 250, very versatile defender. I think he plays inside at the next level. Penn State's high on his list. He's talking about taking an official visit there, but he's also playing that waiting game. Uh, speaking of visits that couldn't happen because of this whole process, Tyler Booker, uh, top offensive tackle in the 2022-24-7 sports rankings out of IMG Academy. He's originally from Connecticut where Penn State has had some success. He had to cancel a visit up to Penn State because of the coronavirus outbreak. And uh, Again, a ton of coverage up on the site. I suggest you go check that out, lines247.com. We'll get into a lot more recruiting next episode. One more note on recruiting. Steve Wilfong has a great story up on Nolan Rucci. I know he is a, a figure that a lot of folks are focused in on uh, here in the state of Pennsylvania. Five-star offensive tackle about his uh, as as Steve says, nearly limitless potential, and certainly a guy that Penn State does not want to lose out on. His brother's at Wisconsin. Clemson is a major contender. And speaking of Clemson, we'll leave it here with recruiting, and I would like to hear your thoughts. Christian Veyu has had himself a week, an offer from Clemson, an offer from LSU. All of a sudden, he doesn't really feel like uh, the safe number two fallback plan from Caleb Williams, Sean. Yeah, well, I mean, fallback plan was kind of a... a, a... I know it's a, that's a strong word, but he clearly people have viewed that gap and we have not really done anything to close it. No doubt. No. Yeah, you're right. That's that's pretty much on us. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Christian Veyu is a guy that Clemson's been looking at for a while. He visited there in January. He was set to go back, I think, just this week, actually. Of course, the dead period sort of uh, flipped that one on its head. Um, but yeah, I mean, Clemson, I think, a serious contender. I think Duke, a serious contender. I think he's very much up in the air right now. And, and this is a guy that you, you know, we've been forecasting as Penn State's eventual quarterback in this class for a long, long time. It's kind of funny, you know, you talk about quarterback dominoes and everything like that, and, and everybody thinks Garrett Nussmeyer is a lock to LSU, and I, I still think that. Um, and then all of a sudden, LSU comes out of nowhere and offers Veyu maybe a little gamesmanship there, maybe a little bit of that, what we talked about with Miller Moss, Penn State offered. Miller Moss, the kid from California, last week, maybe trying to push Veyu across the line. Maybe uh, you see that with LSU and Nussmeyer right now as well. So uh, Clemson is kind of its own different animal, though. I mean, you've got uh, 
a really good quarterback play right now in Trevor Lawrence. They've got a good one in the in the wings in DJ. Um, do you want to be the guy that's following that? I, I mean, I don't know, but that that's not the decision that I have to make. I mean, I think Penn State fans are are going to logically say, why would you follow that guy up? But Clemson's doing some some really nice things right now, and these quarterbacks think they can go in and they can beat out anybody. So we will see what happens with that. I still think I I, I don't think it's it's lost to Clemson at this point, um, but uh, certainly. You'd rather have them out of the race than uh, than in it, and that's uh, certainly something that's going to, uh, you know, it's going to be a challenge for for Kirk Shiraka and James Franklin and this coaching staff, and and I think Tyler Bowen's the lead on that one as well. Um, that that they're going to have to address in the next couple of weeks and months. Um, but now you've got a guy like Tangwall on campus. You've got a guy that's uh, really been able to sort of assume that leadership role on a number of levels. So, uh, you know, you, you want to see him, you know, he's been talking to Veyu. You want to see him uh, maybe make that next step. And and really until officials, we're just going to sit here and wring our hands for a little while because that's, uh, that's how it's going to take off. Well, assessing the quarterback market, Penn State may be engaged in a game of musical chairs with schools like Clemson, LSU, Oklahoma, Good luck. That's a lot. It's a good for, spot to be in. It's a good in, spot yeah. to be in. It's a lot to work with, uh, but it's, it's maybe an uphill climb for the Nittany Lions. We will see. Uh, Sean, thanks for the time. Episode two. I'm glad we're able to make it. I know it's a lot crazier on your end. Uh, I'm sharing an office. You're sharing a house with four people, and I don't know how many pets you're up to, but a lot. Um, so we will catch up with you guys next week. Again, we're going to two episodes. Thanks for your support. Thanks to the new members. Check out all the content up on the site. For now, on behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.